hello and welcome to Business Lines Pulse podcast that tunes into all things health and pharmaceuticals. I'm Jyoti Datta. This week, the World Economic Forum that traditionally meets at Davos at this time of year is meeting again. And usually global leaders, you know, the rich and famous across the world meet here to outline their agendas and uh, opportunities and all the rest of it. So they've already had uh, the Indian Prime Minister and the Chinese Premier address the forum on Monday. And coinciding with this meeting that happens, we have, you know, the international charity organization Oxfam, which brought out its report outlining critical concerns in the economy that they think uh, need urgent redressal. Now, in its latest uh, inequality kills report, for instance, they point out 1% tax on the wealth of the 98 richest billionaire families in India could finance the uh, government's health insurance program, the Ayushman Bharat, for seven years. It's an exhaustive report, and it covers various uh, issues, including education, social security, wages, and a lot more. Now, to discuss issues on healthcare highlighted by this report, we have with us today Oxfam's India Chief, Amitabh Behar. Thank you, Amitabh, for joining us today. Thank you, Jyoti. Thank you for inviting me. So, um, you know, inequality, inequity, this has been the theme that has really been, uh, you know, at the center of discussion, especially during the pandemic year, and has really been brought to the fore. We've seen it with the lopsided distribution of COVID tools, including vaccines. Do you think the pandemic has really made a bad situation worse? Yeah, so Jodi, if you just look at our report, it does kind of give you figures which very clearly indicate that inequality is not just growing it's exploding and it's exploded during these two years of the pandemic. There is certainly a trend of moving towards inequality, but in the last couple of years, it's become absolutely obscene. And let me just give you two figures. The top 10 richest men of the world, the top 10 billionaires have literally doubled their wealth during the pandemic. And in India, it's, it's a very similar story. In just this uh, one year, we have added 40 billionaires to the list of existing billionaires in this country. So from 102, it's become 142 billionaires. And this is the time when 84% of the Indian households uh, have had a decline in their income. You know, and just to give you one more uh, piece to talk of, you know, the, how uh, obscene this inequality is now, that from March 20 to November, 21, the combined wealth of Indian billionaires also more than doubled. And uh, this is the time when we saw 4.6 crore people slide into poverty. And let me say that there's several studies looking at how many people uh, went below the poverty line. This is one of the most conservative estimates. So inequality is exploding. And during pandemic, we thought that we'll at least take a pause and relook at how our economic systems function, but it seems that it's really at the top where people are getting richer and the majority of the population is becoming more vulnerable. Right. In fact, those were exactly the data points that I was going to pick up. I mean, some really staggering numbers there when you talk of, you know, households that have suffered a decline in their income in a year. I mean, 84% is, uh, it's huge. Something like this, you know, has a, a cascading effect. I mean, children taken out of school, effect on, uh, you know, women, and all of which have been raised in your report. 
Now, in healthcare, we've already seen that, you know, people sort of uh, go below the poverty line, sometimes just trying to finance their treatments and all of that. And we've seen out-of-pocket expenditures is really high in India. So healthcare must have been really hit very hard. Absolutely, Jyoti. As in, we anyways saw uh, those heart-wrenching scenes of the second uh, wave when we saw that the health infrastructure was struggling. It was completely overwhelmed. And uh, it did reflect not just the severity of the pandemic, but also how we have starved the public health system in this country of very important critical investments that it needs. You know, again, just to give you one data point, and and I'm sure uh, uh, you know this, but it's important to underscore that uh, the investment in public health continues to be around 1.25 to 1.5% of the GDP. And this has been the case for the last couple of decades or even more, whereas the promises have been made every time to take it to 2 to 3%. And then we saw, you know, this is like really starving the public health system. And we saw how uh, we were not able to cope with the pandemic. And let me, you know, just to give you a comparative picture, we are way below pretty much other countries. So if you look at our peers in BRICS, they all invest much more, going up to 8 to 9% of their GDP on health. So we are amongst the lowest. In fact, last year, our study said that we were fourth from the bottom in terms of investments in public health. So, so that's the dismal picture of the public health in our country. And as you said, if, if you just allow me a couple of you know, more thoughts on it, that you talked of out-of-pocket expenses, and it's absolutely mind-boggling that the average out-of-pocket expenditure in India is 62.67%, whereas the global average is only 18.12%. So, so that's the stark difference between India and, and the global average. You sort of preempted my question, but absolutely, if you just sit with those numbers and let it sink in, the differences are quite mind-numbing. And in terms of, you know, the low healthcare spending across governments, we've been hearing of this promise of 2.5% of GDP, which has not happened. But as you pointed out, I mean, it is abysmally low even, and I think even it, it needs probably to be scaled up even more than that. So what would your ask be of this year's budget? And as you pointed out in the report, you know, it's always the middle class that uh, carries the burden of tax every time. So what you're suggesting, and you'll have made quite a few recommendations there on how even a one-time tax can really sort of help uh, if you're looking just at the Ministry of Health, you know, carry some of their programs forward and quite easily, whether it's the vaccination program or, or uh, the insurance programs. Yes, so, so in, you know, in terms of health, as you did point out, our report says that just 1% wealth tax on the 98 richest billionaire families in this country can sustain the Ayushman Bharat for seven years. You know, just, let me just give you another data point that if you just do a 1% surcharge on the top 10% in India, it will get us 8.7 lakh crores which would be adequate for education and health both put together. So, you know, coming back to the question that you have posed about the budget, 
I certainly think, and this report very strongly recommends that we need to have some kind of redistributive policy. We've had inheritance tax till uh, a couple of decades back. We've ha had wealth tax till recently. This is a moment where we need to certainly reintroduce something of, of that kind. And it, it's not uh, unusual. We've already seen Argentina do that. They've had uh, a one-off wealth tax to address COVID. They were able to raise 2.5 billion US dollars. I think this is a moment where we must look at wealth tax as one of the key redistributive policies. But we certainly need to go beyond that. And the second, I would say, is a stronger commitment, uh, which gets translated into actual numbers, is the investment in education and health. As um, we saw the budget last year, it was very surprising, even during the pandemic year, we actually saw a 10% cut in the health budget uh, of the union government vis-a-vis -vis the revised estimates of the previous year. So it's very critical that this year we start investing in uh, education, health, social security, which are clear drivers of equality. And that there's enough data, academic work, which tells us that if there are greater investments in education and health, it leads to a more equal society. So I think that would be also critical. And, and then I think we've also been talking about, uh, we, we certainly saw how during the pandemic, it was NREGA which uh, gave people the much needed support. So I, I think it, it would be critical, particularly with the experience of the migrant crisis, that after the first lockdown, these cities where they actually work, where these migrant labor, you know, they make the cities, but the cities became extremely hostile to them. It would be critical to start looking at something like a Rural Employment Guarantee Act for the urban sector. So, so there are several ideas, but I, I think the bottom line is that you need to change the, the case and not look at the top, but look at the majority of Indian population, which is suffering at the moment. Absolutely. And you've also raised the point about, uh, you know, public health uh, institutions and hospitals and the increasing privatization that's happening. So you've sort of really underscored the need or reinforced the need for quality public health, um, you know, infrastructure to be available and to be available not just to, you know, a moneyed class, but in a more, much more equitable way. Absolutely. I, I think you're, you're making a very important point that the trend towards privatization of essential public services like education and health has actually been a, a double whammy for the poor. That they've not been, on the one hand, there is a burden of the pandemic. And on the other hand, they've not been able to access uh, health services because they're primarily in the private sector. So it would be extremely critical that we do a fundamental relook at, at this growing privatization of the essential services. So, uh, you know, the, the whole, I, I would really say that inequality is so much a manifestation of the larger neoliberal framework that we are working with, which also talks of privatizing basic services which are essentially rights. And, and I think it's, it's very important that we go back, revisit this. The pandemic hopefully gives us a moment to take a pause, 
and, and reboot ourselves differently. And in a poor country like India, we cannot continue uh, with, with privatized health or education services. So just uh, taking a moment to sort of step out of just the Indian context, has the pandemic made the rest of the world also, uh, you know, sort of confront these inequities that sort of exist, but, uh, you know, are not, are, or, or sort of often pushed under the carpet or not really addressed unless there's a report that actually spotlights um, such inequities. Do you think that um, there is a little bit more sensitivity for want of a better word of, of these kind of, uh, you know, the stark inequalities that happen, you, you start your report with, uh, you know, the people dying and uh, the, how the inequality has, you know, really driven people to the brink. So Jyoti, I, my answer would be yes and no. The, the no is that given the obscene levels of inequality we see, I still feel that the actions that we take are very inadequate and the urgency that's needed to uh, address inequality is missing. However, the, uh, the brighter side is that this is a moment where pretty much for the first time we are listening from the IMF chief, the World Bank chief, talk about inequality. And they're highlighting inequality as one of the biggest challenges for the, for the globe in the coming years. So there is this realization, even with uh, the Bretton Woods institutions like the IMF and the World Bank, which according to many have promoted policies which led to this growth of inequality, they've also realized and recognized that inequality is growing and it is reaching unacceptable levels. The UN Secretary General is talking about it. The sustainable development goals for the first time, I, I think it was a very ambitious uh, political commitment to bring inequality within the sustainable development goals. So there is an environment where now there is recognition that inequality is a big issue. And if you just look at the news also in the last one year, around the world, whether in, in uh, Latin America, in parts of Asia, you've seen social unrest uh, very often linked to growing inequality in their respective countries. So this is a moment where I think academics, uh, economic institutions are recognizing that inequality needs to be addressed. So, so that's, that's the positive. But as I said, uh, at least I feel that there's much more urgent action needed and that that's missing. And you know, just, just to say that the World Economic Forum, uh, which brings in the, the super rich of the world, uh, and I was there two years ago when it was, when it was done face-to-face. Uh, -face. And it was interesting to see that the super rich also were talking about inequality. And in, in fact, it was fairly interesting to hear in the World Economic Forum, a movement away from shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. Maybe these are just ideas and, and we need a lot of sincere backing action around it, but that's the brighter side of the story. Correct. We've heard of capitalism with the conscience and you know the red movement and many such have sort of taken, uh, you know, started off there. So yes, there is uh, a lot more urgency needed. I would agree with you there. You know, coming back into the Indian context, some, one of the recommendations that you make is to track the impact of public policy on the ground. And uh, at one level, the government might say that that's what they're doing with all their digital systems in place. So 
you know, how would how would you, um, you know, could you elaborate more on this tracking uh, the impact of public uh, policy? And do you think digitization is uh, part of the solution or part of the problem? So, you know, the technology is in itself never a, a problem and technology can be used as an aid. However, how it is used often leads to problems. As in, we, we saw uh, uh, what's been happening in terms of the digital divide, particularly say around education. And uh, we saw that how a significant number of children have not been able to uh, access education where it seemed you know, the, the upper classes felt very comfortable with uh, virtual classrooms. In a country where if I remember the data correctly, we have only 9% of smartphones or uh, laptops, tablets uh, in rural areas, which becomes worse for uh, the poorer sections in rural areas. So, so technology is, is, I would say, in itself, not, not a solution. But yes, certainly tracking. But, but in our study, I think um, what you're referring to in particular is the importance of recognizing and measuring inequality because we've really not been measuring inequality. We do not have adequate data on uh, income and wealth. It's certainly not in the public domain. So I think it's, it's critical that we start measuring inequality to be able to then design inequality vesting policies. As in the, the Niti Aayog has started looking at inequality, which is a positive step, but we need to go uh, many more uh, steps further on, on that. Right. So in India, you've also done a lot of work uh, in supporting, you know, COVID-related uh, measures that were taken, whether it is in supplying oxygen and uh, many of those other measures. So, um, and you have pointed out, so recently we also saw this issue with uh, foreign funding and the FCRA rules where several organizations were impacted, including Oxfam. And you did say that um, limiting your ability to get funds from abroad could also limit some of these uh, you know, activities that you uh, support here, the development activities. So has that uh, been sorted out now with the government? So, so not yet, Jyoti. We have reached out to the government. We have made uh, a request uh, to the government to review their decision. Uh, and as, as you said, we have pointed out that particularly in these two years, I think the amount of work we have done, it's been very gratifying. We've been able to do six oxygen plants. Each plant is capable of supporting 100 to 200 oxygen beds in government hospitals. We have done hundreds of ventilators, BiPAP machines, thousands of, of, uh, of uh, PPE kits, uh, yeah, it's it's really a whole range of uh, medical equipment that we have done. So this certainly will get disrupted. A lot of our other developmental work, which is around right to education, which is around women's empowerment, all that will get disrupted uh, if we are not able to access resources. So we've made our request. We are hopeful that the government would reconsider its decision. Right. And, you know, my final question to you is, you know, now we are sort of living through the third wave. And I think health administrators are really trying to balance out between life and livelihood and the larger theme of trying to build back better. That I think is still a while away. But but how do you think that, you know, India should be navigating this space? Jyoti, as in, we, it's, we've gone through an extremely difficult time, probably the most unprecedented crisis that, that we saw. 
certainly in our lifetimes. And, and compared to that, at least fortunately, uh, and, and that's what also the science is saying that this uh, variant is milder. Uh, I do remember the last April and May, pretty much every morning I was waking uh, with messages, sad messages of two, three people that I personally knew passing away of COVID. Fortunately, at this moment, it seems like much milder than what we saw last year. So I, I think it's critical to learn from those experiences. We have enhanced our health infrastructure. I hope uh, we can continue enhancing that. We need to ensure that we are doing uh, COVID appropriate uh, behavior. So, you know, th those are hopefully the ways of moving ahead. I must say that also the, the high rate of vaccination that we have had in India is uh, helpful, hopefully. Uh, and, and we are certainly fortunate compared to say uh, many other developing countries where the rates of vaccination is, is much lower. But I would just say, you know, the, the bottom line is that the first and the second wave should have been a wake up call that we go back to looking at health, not as a private commodity, which the super rich can buy, but as a fundamental basic right for everyone. I couldn't agree more with you on that. And um, yeah, do hope that the coming budget recognizes, you know, the need to have public health services in place. So with that, we'll draw this conversation to a close, Samitab. And thank you so much from Business Lines team and myself. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jyoti. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you.